Welcome to Life on the Other Side, stories from prisoners, their families, and those helping them find justice and redemption with Alec Klein. This podcast is sponsored by Republic Book Publishers, which brings you books tackling the important issues of the day and the new book Aftermath, When It Felt Like Life Was Over by Alec Klein. For more information, please check out republicbookpublishers.com. In this episode, we hear from Kelsey Dodson, who was convicted of child neglect and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Thanks for joining us, Kelsey. Thank you. Tell us us about your life before all the troubles. What what was was life like back then? Um, Life was pretty good. Uh, I mean, for a 20-year-old with two kids, you know, um, I worked at Subway and, uh, I was able to support myself and my children along with my boyfriend at the time. And, um, it was going pretty good for a while. I got into some trouble before for some paraphernalia and, uh, I went on a deferred sentence. This was before I had Marley anyways, but, um, after that, we kind of straightened up. The deferred sentence you're referring to, uh, to what? Um, I had a, we got, our house got raided, kind of, no, I wouldn't say like raided like a SWAT team or anything, but um, some, we had some marijuana, and uh, Nathan was dealing out of our apartment at the time, and uh, so... He got in trouble. He got a 10-year defer- deferred sentence, and I got a higher deferred sentence. And by the way, uh, marijuana is uh, legal in the state of Oklahoma now, at least I believe uh, medical marijuana. Yes, yes. But anyway, so Kelsey, you, you were 20 years old. You had two kids, uh, and uh, you were working at Subway. And where did you see, see your life going at that point? Um. I really didn't know at that time because just ha- being so young and having two kids, I was just really trying to make it. I didn't have a, I don't think I had any plans on having a career, really. And so um, I was just trying to make my life as best as I could with what I had. Fair enough. And then tell us about that night, the night when you were working at Subway and then when you came home. Tell us, tell us what happened. Um, so I went to work at 4.30, and uh, I called home at around 8 o'clock to check on Marley. My mom had picked up Kennedy for the night, and so Nathan was at home with Marley, my three-month-old at the time, and uh, he said that she was just sleeping a lot, and I told him he needed a feeder, so he fed her, and um, I continued to work until midnight. And when I got home, I asked him how she was, and he said that she was just sleeping a lot. So I woke her up, and I fed her, and I put her back to, be- to bed. And um, that's, that's about when it started. Like, she just started sleeping a whole lot. So you had been at work for, what, about eight hours? And you got home late that night, and everything seemed to be okay as far as you could tell? 
Yeah, I mean, she's three months old, so it's not unusual for her to be sleeping, you know. So I didn't really pay that much attention to it, only at, like looking back. Now I can see that it might have been a little odd. So, so what happened next? So next I wake up with my children about 6 o'clock, um, I don't think Marley had been waking up for her own feeding, so I had to wake her up. And so that was weird also, but I didn't really pay, give it too much worry. And so um, our day went on as regular. She's just sleeping a lot. And um, I go to work, and same thing. I call and I check in. And he said that she hadn't been up since I left for work at 4 o'clock, which was odd. So I told him he needed to get her up and he needed to feed her. And uh, I'll be home, you know, so I come home again at midnight. And um, so when I talked to him, he said that she didn't eat her full bottle. And so I said, well, I'm going to take a shower. And when I get out, she's still asleep. I'm going to wake her up, and I'm going to give her a bath to wake her up. So... When I get out of the shower, she's still asleep, so I go into her room, I undress her to her diaper, I take her to the kitchen sink where I bathe her, and she let out a really shrill cry when I go to remove her diaper. And Nathan is asleep in the recliner at the time. He runs into the kitchen area and asks what happened, and I said that I didn't know because nothing had happened. She just let out this really shrill cry, and it only lasted for a couple seconds. And um, and she was fine. So I continued to give her a bath, and I fed her. She ate. She went back to sleep. I think I put her in the swing, and I went to bed. And she woke up at 6 o'clock for her feeding. So I got up, and I fed her, and she projectile vomited on me. And that was the first time that had happened. And so I got, started getting really worried because I had never seen anything like that before in a small child, and um, I, she went back to sleep, and I think at 11 o'clock she woke back up, and I had called my mom, and I was telling her what was going on, and she told me if I needed to take her to the hospital that I should, and then Nathan was dissuading me of taking her to the hospital, telling me that it's going to be nothing, and they're just going to send me back home, and so I was really torn between what I should do. She didn't have any markings on her or anything, so it wasn't, like, obviously physical abuse or anything. So I waited, and um, when I was playing with her at one point, I was trying to get her to look at me, but she just kept looking to the left. And so I tried to get her to follow my finger, and she wouldn't do that. And so I started, my worry just started getting more and more with, like, everything that started happening. And so... Uh, I fed her again, like, at 6 o'clock at night. I didn't have to work that night, and um, she projectile vomited on me again. And at this point, Nathan tells me that if I take her to the hospital, what if they say it looks like child abuse? And I just, look, you know, I just brushed it off. Like, I don't know why I didn't think more of it at the time, but I should have. But um, I ended up taking her to the emergency room at midnight, I asked if Nathan wanted to go with me, and he said no. And that's whenever, when I got there, they told me that she had bleeding on her brain. And um, she started having a seizure. And that's when a social worker came in there and told me what was about to happen. 
and they rushed her to the emergency room at St. Francis, so the PICU unit, and um, told me that uh, she was abused in some way, and they wanted me to tell him what happened, and I basically told him the same thing I've just told you. So I don't, I don't know what happened to her, and they never really questioned Nathan about it. This must have been a shock to you. It was devastating because you're trying to, you know, make it in your life, and you're doing everything that you think is right, and then they tell you that you're no longer allowed to see your child, and I just lost my mind. I started crying and screaming and Nathan's yanking on me to get up and stop. It was one of the worst days of my life. So were you, tell us about your your arrest. So I wasn't actually arrested until like a month later, but I was questioned nonstop. I mean, it never ended. I so the day after I uh, had, she was admitted to the PICU and they told me I was no longer to see her, I actually went ahead and went up there and I took some stuff to her. And um, they initially told me that she wasn't there, so I actually convinced a nurse to tell me that she was still there. And um, I was just up there waiting in the waiting room just to be near her. And um, I got a call from the detectives. They wanted to question me and Nathan. So... We go to the Sperry Police Department, and I'm being questioned. So I'm questioned twice, and he's questioned once. And um, they're just asking me the same questions over and over again uh, in different ways, and I'm telling them that I don't know what happened to her. And um, so they get my mom to tell them where Kennedy's at, and they bring Kennedy, and they promise me that I can see her one more time. And this is your other daughter. Yes, Kennedy, my your other, other daughter. daughter at the time, yeah. she was like eighteen months or something like that. And I never any, never any health, never any health problems with Kennedy. Is that right? No, no, she was mm-hmm. a perfectly healthy child. You know, very active and very good baby. And um, so I had asked them if I could give her a hug goodbye because they were going to put her in a foster home uh, for the night and. Um, they told me that I could if I got myself together because I was distraught. And so they bring her in, and they actually let her see me, and she's reaching out for me, and um, they don't let me see her. And so they just take her, and they put her in a car, and they take her away. And um, I get... I get to go home, and um, that's when the phone calls start, and the officer, the detectives are just calling me constantly. I mean, Nathan's even answering the phone. They don't want to talk to him. They want to talk to me constantly. And so I come home one day from work, and they're like, hey, you know, can we come by and, you know, um, take a look at your house? And I'm like, sure. You know, I have absolutely nothing to hide. So they come over. They're taking a lot of pictures. They're just continuing to ask me questions. Um, the only, the one thing that made them think of me as a suspect, they said, is that I kept, like, coming up with excuses, but really I was just trying to find a reason, like, why this all happened. 
and um, I would call and leave them messages if I ever thought of anything that it could have been, and uh, they used that against me in the end. So um, when I got arrested, I actually had showed up to work, and they told me that they had been by there to arrest me. And so I go home, and um, Nathan takes me to Tulsa, and I'm going to surrender, and um, I'm in Tulsa County for about four days. What are you charged with? I'm initially charged with child abuse and child neglect. So you're sitting in a county jail. What are, you, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that it's, I mean, at that point, you know, I'm still thinking that, they've got, I mean, they have it all wrong for sure, but, you know, that everything's going to be fine, you know. Um, I mean, you believe in the justice system and that it's going to work the way that it should and that innocent people don't go to prison, and um, I have done nothing wrong. And, you know, the cops had questioned me so much and so intensely that I had thought that I blacked out. They were starting to make me think that I blacked out and maybe did something. But, I mean, that's just ridiculous. I had no lost time that I could ever remember. So, I don't know. It was just, I was going crazy. I was going crazy. So, tell us about the trial? So the trial lasted two years and I was out on bond the whole time and um, I was, uh, I paid for an attorney what I could. Um, it was never enough for him. He was always after me for more money. And um, so I go to every court day, every trial day and uh, during this time, too, I'm also having to go to juvenile court to have my rights terminated to my children. And um, so I go to juvenile court, and they're telling me that um, if they terminate my rights, that's to Kennedy, Marley, and any future children that I may have. And um, so I have to make this really terrible decision on, like, choosing a child. Like, who do I want to keep? And, of course, I would love to keep both of them. And my attorney there was making it sound so dismal, like they were going to terminate my rights. They didn't have to prove that I did anything. It's just the way that she presented it to me that I had to make this choice. So I relinquished my rights to Marley in order to keep my rights to Kennedy. And um, she went to my aunt and uncle, and um, so in their eyes at that time, I was guilty because I gave her up so easily, but it wasn't even like that. Why did you, so why, did your, I, why did your attorney uh, say you have to make a choice between the, your two kids? Because I had to decide if I wanted to be able to keep one of my children or lose all of my children, and so... Also, she had told me that just because I have a child doesn't mean I have rights to them. So that was also a lie. She was just telling me that my, my odds of winning at a trial in juvenile court was so slim that I 
the risk of terminating my rights was too high. That's called that. There's a name for this almost now called Sophie's Choice, based on this uh, classic movie mm-hmm. where the mom has to choose one of her two kids. Uh, I mean, it's such a a terrible thing to have to do. But on top of that, you were facing a criminal uh, series of criminal charges too. So you had two different yeah. court proceedings, and you were just in your early twenties. This must have been overwhelming. It it was. I actually don't know. I didn't know if I was making the right choice or not, you know. I mean, you're just doing something, hoping that you're making the right choice. And in the end, it's like, I don't, I still don't know, you know. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I should have went ahead and went through with the trial in my juvenile court because really there's no evidence against me, but I was just so scared. I was just so scared of losing all of my children. Did I make the right choice? I don't know. I don't know. Well, what happened? I feel like... So, um, I relinquished my rights to Marley. Um, I immediately was under suspicion with my aunt and uncle, which I already had a zero contact order with. Um, so, I had... Uh, I think I had seen Marley for the last time uh, when she was five months old. And, um, gosh, that was... Within that was like right before or right after I got arrested. It was right after I got arrested, I guess, or right after all of this happened. I can't remember exactly, but anyways, um, so I continue with my jury trial for my child abuse and neglect charge, and that goes on for two years. So um, during that time, I also went to a psychiatric ward for three days. Um because I was going to kill myself. Um, what was going on with you that, that that you got to that point? It was just uh, the arrest and um, everything that was going on, like trying to convince yourself that this is not real and um, that everything's going to be okay. It was just hard. The story I just like kept going through in my mind, just trying to figure out like what happened, and like that's the hardest answer not to have is something that happened to your own child under your own roof, like you know. And the detectives are trying to make you feel like you're a terrible person because you let your baby sleep in a swing, you know. It's like constant judgment, and um, I was just a young mother, and. I don't know. It just, it was really hard. And I never really experienced, like, suicidal thoughts or anything like that. But the thoughts of suicide were better than the thoughts of, you know, what happened to my kid. And it wouldn't have to happen if I wasn't here anymore, you know. It could all just go away and they could live their life. And it was just, it was a hard time. It was a really hard time. So my mom and my dad had me committed. And, um... How did you how did you survive all of that? Um, well, the only thing that I could say is that I just wanted to kill myself, so I just kept repeating that over and over again, and I really didn't give him any other answers besides that. Um, when I was in the hospital, um, they really kept me sedated, so I just slept a whole lot, but when I was awake, I thought about um, the events 
that had happened and trying to figure out, like, what it was, when it could have happened. I mean, I wrote it down obsessively. Um, I don't... So when a doctor came to speak to me, that's all I could talk about, you know, is what I was going through. And um, they ended up releasing me, and they gave me some medicine, but um, I just decided, like, if I am innocent and I did kill myself, it wouldn't seem that way. It would seem like I was guilty. So I continued to go on with the trial, and um, whenever uh, my jury date was set, uh, my my lawyer was so super confident, and he also didn't tell me a whole lot about what I was fixing to experience. I actually didn't know that my crime was 85% until uh, the jury trial or until the jury was read their instructions. I had no idea. I didn't even know that both of my charges carried zero to life sentences until that moment. And so really uh, that was kind of devastating to me because I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God, I could actually get two life sentences and never see outside of prison again. And um, he just kind of made me, like, don't worry about it, you know. Um, But the jury trial, I really don't have a lot of memory of it because I've just blocked out a lot of what happened because it was all just too much. Kelsey, I've reviewed the uh, trial transcript. Uh, You had no... um, medical experts speak, No, I did not. Uh, on your, now, why was that, and was that an issue that you wondered about, given the fact that this was a case that focused on the medical issues? Yeah, so I actually, I mean, it's all money. Like, you, ha- you have to have money. And so we had um, asked this doctor from Missouri that had testified with my attorney before, and he wanted, like, I mean, you have to put them up in their hotel. You have to pay for their meals. You have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was so expensive, and I was already having trouble paying my attorney. That that was just not even feasible at all. Like, there's no way that I could do that. Medical experts can cost thousands of dollars. Oh, oh yes, for sure. And, you know, there's no telling how long that they would be kept on the stand, so who knows if they're kept for more than one day, you know? So, um I had nothing to rebut their medical expert, which she is a child abuse specialist. So, um, I mean, you know, if you're a hammer, all you see is nails. Do you remember, like, parts of it? But I can't remember, like, specifically, like, what was said. One other thing that I I remembered from reading the trial transcript, uh, the jury never learned that your daughter... Marley actually uh, was fine, that despite whatever had occurred that night with the uh, medical emergency, she had recovered and that she was a healthy, thriving child. Uh, Do you remember that part, that they never heard that, and what what happened there? How come that never came up? So my attorney filed a motion to keep, okay, so like, during one of the uh, discoveries or preliminary hearings, my attorney actually did 
and trying to get it to where we could have Marley examined. And um, the prosecutor um, said that it was irrelevant and that um, it her condition today actually has nothing to do with the condition of her that day. But um, my attorney knew that they would want to know her current condition at the time that we were going through trial. But it was denied, so he filed a motion to keep out anything else other than that moment out of the um, prosecutor's hands. Might have not been so good, but I mean that was what he felt he needed to do. And who am I? I'm not an attorney. You know, I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. The bottom line is, the jury never got to learn that Marley, your daughter, is fine. Is I mean, no, physically. No, uh, actually, beginning of deliberations before they ever went in, um, this woman standed stood up and um, she asked the current condition of Marley, and my judge told her that she would have to go back into the deliberation room and send out a note. And so she did that, and he denied her request. So the jury actually asked to know what the condition of your daughter was, and and they were denied that information? Yes. Yes. Because we didn't have a current... We didn't have a check on her, so technically the judge couldn't tell her even if that motion wasn't filed. So... One other question about the trial. To what extent did it come up that you had had a uh, difficult um, delivery when uh, Marley was born and that uh, there could have been other mitigating factors that that, uh, uh, might have caused what what, um, brought her to the hospital? To what extent did any of that come up as, as a possibility, an alternative explanation? Um, so not at all. Um, I did go to the hospital and I got my records released from my pregnancy with Marley. I had a high risk pregnancy with her. I was bedridden for the last like two to three months with her. I took my records to my attorney and he tried to supply them to the prosecutor and they didn't want them. They didn't care to see them. That wasn't even taken into consideration of anything that could have happened. She, um, Marley was actually in my birth canal for, um, oh, I don't even know how long, because the nurse closed my legs and told me to hold it. And um, I've, I don't know if it had something to do with that, and I don't know if Nathan did anything. It's just like, you know, ten, 10 years later, I'm still sitting here thinking, like, what happened? And I don't know. And I can't say that I'll ever know. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for part two of the podcast with Kelsey Dodson. This podcast is sponsored by Republic Book Publishers, which brings you books tackling the important issues of the day and the new book Aftermath, When It Felt Like Life Was Over by Alec Klein. For more information, please check out republicbookpublishers.com. Thank you for joining us today. Please stay tuned for our next podcast involving stories from prisoners, their families, and those helping them find justice and redemption. And please subscribe to the Life on the Other Side podcast on iTunes.